So God's Spirit became a visible thing that you and I will see and did see and could see if we were standing there at the time Jesus was baptized. The writers of the New Testament wanted to be clear. The Spirit of God and the person of Jesus hovering over the waters back in Genesis once again shows up when water is involved. When you and I are baptized, the Spirit of God hovers over that water. It's really important that you understand that. Nothing about the water that's magic. But there is something very special going on when it's happening in your life and in my life and in our hearts. But something new is starting. That's what happened in Genesis. That's what happens to us at conversion. And the story of everything continues in three parts when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The first part, I want to ask you a question. Who is the Holy Spirit? In order to know the nature of someone or something, you have to know who they really are. When you started dating the person that you married, you didn't just instantly marry them. You wanted to get to know them better. And they wanted to get to know you better. And then after they got to know you better, they wondered whether they had made the right decision to marry you in the first place. But usually after you're married is when you find out all the bad stuff. Can I get an amen? Oh, it's true. It's true. You didn't find out that she couldn't cook till it was too late. You didn't find out that her legs are hairy in the morning. She didn't find out that you've got snot breath all the time. Boy, I thought we were talking about that next month. Well, we are just kind of leading up to it, all right? But who's the Holy Spirit? It's somebody you need to get to know. And in fact, the Bible gives us some clear pictures of who He is. Don't have time to read all these verses, but please note them in your outline. In John 14, 16 through 18, and verse 26... The Holy Spirit is called our counselor, our encourager, our advocate, and our comforter. In John 15, 26, he is called the truth. In John 16, 7 through 14, he's called the revealer. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Not an it. In all these passages, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit he. He. Because He is in us. He lives in us. He works in us. And I don't know about you, but I love all the attributes that I just mentioned because I need a counselor. I need an encourager. I need an advocate. I need a comforter. I need all of it. Amen. Amen. But it's not until we look at the Word or Spirit in both the Hebrew and the Greek that we really begin to understand what he is and who he is. The Hebrew word is ruah. And all of you say that with me. Ruah. That sounds great, man. If somebody says, comes up to you and says, I'm going to knock you in the head, you can go, ruah. Now they won't have any idea what you said to them. And if you really want to get to them, in the Greek it's ruah. Right, ready? Numa. Has a P in front of it, by the way. Don't go pneuma. That's the way 
Texas, that's how we said we knew it. It's like Pannonia. Pannonia. Numa and Ruach means breath or wind of God. The breath of God blows on us. When's the last time you felt the breath of God blow on you? Long time. Has he quit blowing? He's still blowing. We're sidestepping the blow, aren't we? We're sidestepping the wind. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22 says this On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. And Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they had never received the Spirit like this before. In Psalm 51, David cries out to God for restoration and he says, Please do not remove the Holy Spirit from me. Spirit activity has been like I showed you from Genesis through. And this is the time when Jesus says, Receive it. Receive it. Let that Spirit come in you and begin to live in you. They didn't understand what that meant. They had no idea what that meant, which leads us into part two. A second question, not only who is he, but what does the Holy Spirit do for me? Well, there's four things for sure the Holy Spirit does. Number one, He changes my identity. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit gives you and me identity in Jesus Christ. Secondly, He changes the way I think. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, our identity changes and the way we think changes. Paul put it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Out of the New Living Translation, it says it this way. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The Holy Spirit helps us think differently. And because we uh, are continually aware and growing as children of God, third thing that He does for us is He changes my abilities. This is really an exciting, crazy story in the book of Acts. Jesus leaves His disciples. He ascends to heaven tells them to go and and wait in Jerusalem. And so they're there huddled up in the upper room. And Jesus said, you will receive power from on high. 
First time they ever understood this. First time they were going to experience this. They, they heard the words, but they didn't know what it meant. It's like when the, when the preacher says to you, hey, you be saved and your life will be different. Until you are, it's not different. You don't get it. It's like being married. It really is. Because you don't know anybody till you live with them. It's exactly right. You don't really know them till you live with them. And you may not like what you get when you get there. That's why you have frying pans. Knock them upside the head. That's right. Preach it out there, brother. Lots of love. When he wakes up the next morning, you'll find that love. <laughs> Boy, you guys are just... What's, come on. Sun's shining today. It's a great day. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Reach over and slap your neighbor. Somebody wake them up. Come on. Mercy, you're making me work way too hard today. Just because we don't have an overhead behind me. Come on. But you see, there's this festival going on in Jerusalem. It's a time when people were coming from all over the world to celebrate. Already assembled in an upper room were 120 of the followers of Jesus. And you pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. That wasn't just a gentle breeze. It's more like a tornado. Have you ever, you ever heard a tornado? That's not a, if you can, if you're close enough to hear it, it's no fun. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's loud. They say it sounds like a train. I don't know what description you want, but it's loud. That wind is loud. And it says, and it filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. There's one thing that you cannot mistake here. And that is the power of God and His Spirit had just shown up. This fire thing, that was pretty impressive. But the Holy Spirit filled them and it says they began to speak in other languages. Other languages. Really important to understand. They went out into the streets. They were speaking in all kinds of different languages so people from different countries and tribes could understand. Understand what? The message of Jesus. And so people began to ask what was going on. And I love how Peter responded to them. Same situation in the first century that probably would be said today. Peter says, These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the ninth hour of the morning. So people looked at them and, and watched what they were doing and listened to what they were saying and saw the zeal coming through them and they thought, hey man, these guys are nuts, they're drunk. Much what happens to us today when we come in with zeal in our heart, we come in wanting our friend to know Jesus, we come in really excited about the Lord, they want to quickly squelch that and say, man, you're nuts. You're nuts. Well, Peter stands up to preach. I'll bet you a dime to a dollar. When Peter got the prompting of God to stand up and preach, and he began to preach, he thought to himself, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I fish, I don't preach. Hold on. I'm pretty good at the fishing, but this preaching, I'm not sure about it. I've never done this. And so Peter, he, he begins preaching, and he's the same guy a month and a half earlier when Jesus was arrested for and tortured for treason and then ultimately crucified. Peter, it's the same Peter who denied him three times. But now he's standing to preach. Well, he didn't have a degree. He hadn't been to seminary. 
He didn't have master's PhDs. He didn't have all the pedigree of being a pastor, sharing the message of God. You see, you've got to preach that way if you're a preacher. You've got to walk a certain way. You've got to have certain clothing. You've got to, hmm, you do. If you're a preacher. Well, this was just an old fisherman that had found some fire from heaven and lit it up. Guess what? It's available to you too. Well, no, you're our preacher. Well, I got you. I thank you for letting me lead you and lead and fill your heart with good things about Jesus. But I need you to be preaching. God needs you to be preaching. Well, I don't have a message. Then you need to find Jesus again, don't you? You got a message if you got Jesus in your heart. It don't take much. Brother Kim was telling me the history of his, his relationship with his dad. And it rocky. Pretty rocky relationship. But all of a sudden, his dad gets sick. And all of a sudden, his dad reaches back to what he was taught when he was younger and brings that fast forward to where he is now and said to me, I'm only here because of the grace of God. Well, okay, I'll take that. Because none of us know the intent of a man's heart. God does. God does. But something was happening in this group. The Holy Spirit took up residence in Peter's life. It changed Peter's identity and his power to respond to God. He was no longer a fisherman, a betrayer. He was a new creation. He had abilities that he never knew that he had. I've watched my children grow and I've watched them mature. And I always loved it when they would call and say, Dad, my moral compass has kicked in today. I'd hang up the phone and in tears would praise God that that moral compass still worked. Now, I don't know what they did beyond that, that moral compass kicking in, but the fact that they were wrestling with that was an awesome thing for me. It should be for you. The good news is our moral compasses kick in all the time. Are we listening? Are we listening? Peter would later write a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says, I also pray that, I mean, Paul wrote this uh, a prayer in Ephesians 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The power of the Spirit is the same power that blew a rock off the tomb, raised Jesus from the dead, and it's the same Spirit that indwells you when you receive Christ. Romans 8, 9-14, through 14, Paul wrote this. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, it says, When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about, uh, about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You see, most people say, Well, where is He? Where is He? I need some word from the Lord. He's going to give it to you when you need it. 
Take a deep breath and relax. You live the life and then He'll choose the time. He'll choose the time. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is that He helps me live a fruitful and a productive life. It's not like we receive some kind of superpower to go around doing these crazy things. If we are involved in, the, in a family business, you would expect that the Holy Spirit is really about helping us participate in godliness, in restoring the way God intended them to be. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5. You want to see if a person is full of the Spirit? Galatians 5, with the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and, and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. It's important that we understand that there is fruit that is produced by those who are living in Christ. And if the Spirit of God is truly moving in you, then these things are going to be evident, aren't they? You'll see them. You'll begin to grow in them. You've got nine areas to work on. Amen? So I've had people say, well, how do I know if I'm full of the Holy Spirit? Right here. You producing any of these? It doesn't have to be, you don't have, I, I don't have to watch you stand on the ground and jump on the church to know that you're full of the Holy Spirit. I know you're full of the Holy Spirit by how you respond to these right here. How you doing on love? That's not just any love. That's loving everybody, no matter who they are, what color their skin is. It's been very heartwarming to watch those orphans get fast-tracked back into America. And you saw the smile on those kids' faces, didn't you? For the first time in their lives, they're going to understand what prosperity means. But even more so was looking at the faces of the people who are adopting them coming into America. It's been awesome. Then the tragedy of the mother who just for days has cried and cried and cried because she watched a building collapse on top of her five children. Killed them just like that. The anguish of the, of the six American parents, parent groups that can't find their children who are in Haiti working. How are we doing on these things? How are we doing on patience? Just start driving. How are you doing? You say, Lord, give me patience. Do not ask for kids because he'll bring them to you as soon as you pray for that. And remember, the DNA works on both sides of that fence. So don't look. Usually when they're bad, they're my kids. When they're great, they're Cindy's kids thing I've discovered is the DNA does run thick on, on both sides of that. How about self-control? How are we doing with that? Let's move on. I've anointing starting to leave me now. Who is the Holy Spirit? What has He done for us? And then I just want to finish the message today with a part three, and that's some FAQs. Frequently asked questions about the Holy Spirit. I doubt I'll get to your question, but stay with me. Let's see if maybe I can touch a few. Isn't this guidance of the Holy Spirit, this idea of a close walk with the Holy Spirit, something that is reserved for super saints or real high-profile uh, spiritual giants? And it's not for people like me. I mean, you got you pastor guys, you missionary guys, you're the ones that get the Holy Spirit like that. Now, now we, we pew fillers, we don't get it. That's not for us. No, 
That's the wrong answer. There is a huge misconception among people. And it keeps them from having a real relationship, a real fellowship in their walk with God because the Holy Spirit wants to be in you and wants to be living in you and be alive in you. The fact that God speaks to you is no indication of specialness or special superiority because the Lord can speak through anyone. There is no mark of specialness in the one to whom God speaks. God can speak to anyone. He can speak through anyone. And He can guide anyone. Because He's God. Geneva's telling about a lady she knew. Prophetess says she uh, described her at 68, I believe it was. Decided she felt God calling her to Haiti at 68 years old. Began to baptize people, set up churches, set up ministries and there into her 80s, died just not too long ago. 68 years old. God not talking to her. Some spirit talking to her, but it wasn't God, right? <laughs> Absolutely God was talking to her. And the great news is she had nothing that would want you, that warrant you to say, whoop, look how special she is. Not a thing. But look at what she's done. And look at the ministry she's done. It's no mark of spiritualness or specialness or spiritual superiority. And, it, it's, it, and when God talks to us, it shouldn't be something that we get puffed up about. Because you see, God in the Bible talks through a bush. He talks through a donkey. And He talks through a gentle whisper. Which one are you hearing? The idea that guidance from God is available only to a special class of Christians is absolutely deadly to a spiritual life. At the heart of the gospel of life in the kingdom is good news that we can have a personal relationship with God and this happens through the Holy Spirit. When I stood in that chapel at Lee University and listened to the music and the preaching from Monday night through Friday night, by Thursday night, by Wednesday, by Tuesday night, there was something moving in my heart. I watched him move in the hearts of these young people and the two adults that I took. I'm telling you, God is there. And that spirit is ready to move when you're ready to get out of the way. Leads me to another question. Is there some secret technique, some formula, some tradition, some prayer, some special brand of church or something I can use to get the Holy Spirit to do what I want? I've had people call and say, are you a spirit-filled church? I say, absolutely. And then they go, oh, hallelujah, you speak in tongues. I said, no, ma'am, I don't. Well, then you're not spirit-filled. That's exactly what they say to me. I said, really? You ever been here? Well, no, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking around. I said, we well, might want to come check us out. I said, no, ma'am, we don't practice tongues and we don't jump pews and you know, we don't do that. I said, we've watched people healed of cancer. We've watched uh, people find restoration in the Lord. We've seen marriages restored. I've seen young people who were angry and mad at the world find peace in God. Are we spirit-filled? 
There are some things in life that you can't predict, you can't control, and you can't put in a box. The Holy Spirit is not one of those things that you can control. John 3, 8, 9 says, The wind blows wherever it will. You can hear it sound. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. There is a mystery to the Spirit, and I think it's a good and a healthy thing. Part of what it teaches me is that I'm not in control. It's not about my cleverness, my strength, my power, my position, or yours. There's a mystery to walking with the Spirit. If you've ever led a small group, if you've ever taught a class, you know what I'm fixing to say. There's times when I've preached, I'll be at the door. Somebody come out and they say, boy, preacher, you're just following me around all week long. I'm telling you, two people behind them will shake my hand and go, didn't have much study, study time this week, huh? In other words, they didn't get a thing out of it, and the guy two in front of them was, it's like I followed him around. How does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's not about me, but I wish I was that clever. In fact, I had one guy, come. he goes out quite often. He says, oh, my gosh, you beat me up again. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Well, if I'm beating you up, it's because I'm already beat up. I'm just sharing the bruises with you. But you know what I'm talking about. There's times when you prepare and you think you've really hit a bell ringer and people walk out and go. <laughs> then there's times when you don't think you've done anything worthwhile for God and people are coming down the aisle except Jesus. Because, see, the Holy Spirit doesn't need me with my attitude. He needs me sold out to Him. So here's the big picture. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit speak as clearly to me as He does to others? There, I believe there are some people early on in their Christian walk who just seem to have a knack for hearing the Spirit of God. They just do. And they have this sense and are able to discern when it is that God is speaking to them. Not necessarily my experience. But I will not discount someone else's experience. And we need to be sensitive to the movement of God, to the promptings of God. And I have a natural tendency to be skeptical anyway. But you see, in the spirit world, in God's Holy Spirit, my skepticism is of no value. Because He will do far exceedingly above what I think is possible or could ever hope. He will do that. Remember, Peter preached in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? We've all got it, if you've done that. You got it. Well, I don't want it. That could be evident. Then there's some that really do want it but they don't know why they want it. See, it could be that prompting. It could be that sense that God wants you to do something. And when you feel that prompting, do it. You had that prompting. You know, I need to write brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Have you had that? And you don't do it. And what happens? They die, and you go at the funeral. Boy, they're burning. I should have wrote that letter to them now. You get that prompting, make the call. 
Go by and visit them. Because God's Spirit is prompting you. Prompting you. As the worship team comes to help me close, I'm going to finish with a story. It's in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's a, a little boy. And he's alone in the temple at night with Eli, the old priest. And Samuel hears his name being called. Oh, this is awesome. He figures that it must be Eli. So he goes and he says, Eli, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel does that. But he, he, his name is called a second time and then a third time. And we're told in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So God keeps speaking to him, and Eli doesn't know what's going on. And finally, Eli says to Samuel in verse 9, Go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So it says Samuel went back to bed. Now I want you to think about those words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you repeat that phrase with me? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. There's going to be that prayer over and over again. And the next time Samuel says in verse 10, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God speaks to that little boy and his life with God begins. The main thing I want you to take away today and to get out of this message is that God was talking to Samuel, but Samuel did not realize that God was speaking to him. It is possible for God to communicate with someone and yet for that person not to know that it's God. And that's exactly what happened in Samuel's life. So the last question I would ask you is, are you listening? To the Holy Spirit. And it will happen to you today. It will happen to you this week. Thoughts will come to you. Promptings will come to serve a friend, to confess a sin, to share your faith with another person, to give your resources to somebody. Maybe right now, maybe right now, for some of you, that nudge from God is happening and you're being prompted to give your life to God. So the question of the hour is, will you do it? There was a time when the Holy Spirit came on a group of people and they received power. They became so deeply committed to God and so deeply committed to one another that the rich shared with all they had with the poor and the people in hiding took off masks and confessed sins and everybody humbled themselves to build a community of servants that was so full of life that it literally changed the world. Why can't it happen again? And why can't it happen right here? Can it happen here? Can it happen to us? Can it happen to you? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Oh, God, I pray today that we have ears that are listening as your Spirit prompts us. May we respond to that prompting. Have the courage to respond to that prompting. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have a decision.